A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the reading room, all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary. And the reading room contains a host of extraordinary people, leading lights of the written word. Authors, literary critics, columnists and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And hello and welcome to The Reading Room. Now, there's so many different things about reading, about thinking, about people who write stuff, that it's very difficult sometimes to find out what route one should take. But sometimes things come along and they are vaguely esoteric, something you haven't thought about before or something that you might have been thinking about your whole life. But now there's a different angle to it that you think, okay, let's give this a chance. I know a lot of you out there are not particularly religious. Um, I myself refer to myself as a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> and a lot of people will sit there and go, religion is something that maybe is poisoning the world because it gets used in so many bad ways. And we've been having these discussions. We look at what's happening in the world and we think, okay, fine. Christianity is bad. Muslim is bad. Islam, all of these things. However, there are so many stories. And I've always thought about something like the Bible being used as a, a storybook. And I know it seems simplistic and I'm like taking it down to a childlike level, but it's not. It's a, a system of beliefs, a system on how to live your life in a decent way. I've always looked at the Bible as that. And having grown up as a Catholic, obviously a lot of Bible reading went into it, a lot of uh, dissection of the texts and all of the parables and stories that have been told. And a lot of people will just say, oh, it's just an easy way of people understanding how they should behave nicely. However, these all came from scholars of the time. And to help us dissect what the Bible was about, and how it may have in some terms been misconstrued. We have somebody who's really studied this very, very heavily over a number of years, as Dr. Jean-Marie Julien. And thank you for very much for joining us in the reading room. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I've got two of your books here, and I have read them. <laughs> he was very worried that I might not have read them because I know a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, no, thank you for the book and I will read it. But I do, I, I get very interested. And uh, before we, we started recording, you asked me, you know, did I understand it? Now, from the age of 14, I got very involved in understanding other people's religions. It was a big thing for me. I had Mormons coming for tea on a, on a Saturday, coming and telling me about their religion. I had Krishna's coming around. I looked into Wicca. I looked into Judaism. I looked into, it was a fascination for me, having grown up with a very strong religious background, but not being particularly religious myself. So yet the answer to your question is, yes, I did understand your books, but I want to find out from you where, before we get into it, where did it all start? Why did you decide that you needed to really go in depth on all the writings in the Bible? It started 34 years ago. I grew up as a Catholic. At the age of 13, I decided that it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't sense this God. I didn't feel him. And I told my mom, it's your religion that it has nothing to do with me. And uh, 
At the age of 35, I had an encounter with God. A simple thought that by looking at the trees and looking at the leaves in my garden, that all the leaves do the same job, but they are so different in shape, in color, in texture. And just a simple thought came to me. This didn't come by accident, because if it was survival of the fittest, there would be one vegetation. Mm-hmm. Converting carbon dioxide into oxygen and making the carbon into the fiber. So then, then I made a decision to seek whoever it was, a creator, who it was this, that originated this incredible beauty. I started thinking about flowers. There's not one flower which is only white. There are so many flowers that are white and yellow and every color of a rainbow, as if whoever was putting this together wanted to overwhelm us. And the simple thought came to me that only man can really appreciate it. We are the only one who have eyes to appreciate what a bouquet of flowers is like. Mm -hmm. The animals will eat it. They'll think it's good vegetable (laughs) consumption, you know. So this simple thought made me realize that I should look for who's the author, who's this amazing artist who's putting all this together. I don't know the name, I don't know what, and I don't want to go into uh, clubs and groups that want to, to uh, you know, tell me what they know, what they think. I wanted to start by myself. And uh, you're right, being Catholic, uh, we have one problem. We don't, we don't read the Bible. Mm. We read whatever they give us for Mass, but we don't know the Bible. So at the age of 35, for the first time, I took the Bible and read it from cover to cover. And um, a few people were around me, and some were religious, and they were telling me how important the, the Bible is. And um, I said, yes, but it's, it's a source of so much division. Because the Bible, as we know it, the Old Testament, the New Testament, is the same source for um, Judaism, mm-hmm. Christianity, and Islam. How can that be? How can the same source, the same root of that tree is the same for all of us? Mm-hmm. And yet there's so much division, even in Judaism. You've got the Orthodox and the unorthodox and all uh, the different groups that are there. The Hasidic, yeah, yeah. They've all got their own way of, of interpreting the And there's so the much division text, yeah. there, then when you come to the Christians, well, yeah, there's Catholics, there's Protestants, there's Methodists, there's so many divisions. Mm. And some do this and some do the other. And, but there's not a, a one reality there. And then we go to Islam and they say, well, all of this is ours also. But we only follow the, the latest prophet. It's a problem because you, if you are a root, you need to have a full system of roots that brings to that because they recognize even Jesus. Mm. So I told myself, why is there so much division? Have they misread it? Is there a problem in understanding what is given? Because if it's from God, God is not, is not confused. We'll get confused. Mm. So I made it my quest to analyze every word in the ancient text of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And my work is to break down every word to their constituent roots. And uh, it's been a long journey, it's 34 years, but it's been an amazing one. 
So where did you start? What was it in the Bible? This, I mean, you read it from cover to cover. Did you start at the beginning and work the way through, or did you find patches that you thought, hang on a second, that doesn't entirely ring true? No, I started with the New Testament because um, when I was in Europe studying to be a chartered accountant, I had a Greek girlfriend. So that enticed me to go to study Greek, modern Greek. So when I got the books of the Old Testament and New Testament in their original script, I decided to go on to the Greek first because I thought I knew what I was doing. Mm. And little did I know that ancient Greek is so far removed from modern Greek, it's not, not even... Uh, it's like Latin and, and Italian. And like this coming from a Frenchman as well, yeah. so it's a totally different language. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, there's no... You can't, you can't understand mm. one through the other. And um, then I realized that the, the Greek language is probably richer than, than the language in which I was translating, which is the English language. For instance, um, you take the word love, which is what religion is about, the love. There are three words that are translated love. An analogy would be to take three different colors for an artist and you re- re- Put all three colors into one. Mm. The, the, what is being expressed will be would lose its clarity and its definition. So in in Greek you've got eros, which which is erotic, erotic love. Mm. Thelios, which is filial, which is family love, friendship, and then you've got agape, which is translated as God love. And I found out that when you you look at the word agape, it's made up of two roots. The one root is ago, and ago means to lead as a shepherd leads. Mm. And power, which is the second part of agapao, means rest. So God's love, agapao, is God our Father wanting to lead us into the rest that he entered into when he looked at all that he created and said, it's exceedingly good. So that's God's love. It's not, I'm hugging you and kissing you and doing all this. No, 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 no. It's to bring you into a state of mind, which is the same as his. Mm. Come into the rest. I like that. I like the, 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 there is a differentiation in love. And and I think that people don't really teach children enough when they're young about how there are different loves. Mm. And this is a good way of explaining it. But the, the whole analogy, you've got like, Red, yellow, blue, but they're all love. Mm. Okay, but if you mix them together, they're going to be brown, and then it gets all muddied, which is really not what we want. But leading you to peace, I mean, why are people not actually taking that as what it should be? I mean, religion is the most divisive things. It creates war. It, it, It gets people hit up, and you don't believe in what I believe in, therefore I'm going to shout you down, and you will believe what I believe. Why has that suddenly become, well not even suddenly, over the years, being something which people have never been able to agree on? Is it, is it the masculine energy coming in and going, I will run this religion because it's the way they feel powerful? No, no. This goes back to the, the firstborns of Adam. Adam had two sons, mm. Cain and Abel. And Cain slew Abel. Mm. Because Cain was jealous of what Abel had done. And all that Abel had done was to make an offering to God that God desired. 
and Cain made an offering to God to show how powerful he is and how able he is. He wanted his labor, he wanted his, his, his reality to be the gift to God. And God says, I'm not interested in that, what you want to give me. If you don't give me what I want, I won't accept it. Mm. And that's how far back. Right from the very one beginning. Brother, one brother slew his other brother. But now Adam itself, the name, has its, a totally different thing going with it as well. It's got a different connotation to what we think of it as just being the father of man. No, Adam means red from the earth. Because uh, God created men. And uh, the word men in Greek is an interesting word, actually. It's anthropos. Mm. Anthropos is made up of two roots. Ana, meaning upwards. Anthropos is countenance. God created the upward countenance in his image and in his likeness. Male and female created he, them, and called them Adam. Mm. Mm. It sounds, mm, but it's a bit <laughs> confusing there. How could we call Adam male and female? How? Because God is spirit. And the upward countenance that he created, the anthropos, is both male and female. So the instruction was to the anthropos to go and name all the animals that God had created, which he did. And he didn't find a companion suitable for him. Mm -hmm. So God says, okay, I'm going to go and make for you what you're looking for, your companion. And he took a rib out of Adam and he created what we call in Greek gunai, and gunai is translated woman, but gunai actually means caused to have come into existence. Mm. You see? Because man was also flesh. He needed that counterpart. So the gunai, caused to come into existence, was necessary. And that's when he opened his eyes and he saw gunai, and he says, Bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. What a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. He was now satisfied with his companion. The world today, over 7 billion people think that it's Adam and Eve. And yet, the Hebrew scholars know that Adam is the one who named his woman. And he named her Chava. And Chava in Hebrew gets translated into Greek as, as Zoe. Mm. And Zoe gets translated into English as spiritual life. He said, I called her Zoe or Chava because she's the mother of all those living spiritually. So there comes the question, where does the name Eve come from? And the exciting part is that it comes from the misunderstanding of the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek translation of the Torah. Mm -hmm. And the word there is ev-an. Ev-an. Ev, meaning well done. An, for Anna, upwards. He wanted to see that his woman had the same standing as him, that she was well done upwards in, in the eyes of God, because he knew she, she came out of his body. 
but did she have the same standing as him? Mm-hmm. And of course, he found out yes. So that that translation is exciting, and uh, I make it uh, quite clear in the book called "The Cloud Has Moved." Mm. And it's quite amazing. It's like God was telling me, I'm, I'm, I'm vindicating what you're doing because everybody thinks you're an absolute idiot for 33 four years translating something that everybody thinks has been translating, uh, translated so many times by mm. so many scholars. And who are you to, to go and do that? And he has a simple thing. Mm. Seven billion people are wrong. You tell them, Adam and, <laughs> Sorry, Adam and who? You, Adam wrong. and who? Adam <laughs> and, and Eve. No, there's no Eve. There's never been an Eve. It's Adam and Zoe. Adam and Chava, Adam and Zoe. How interesting is that? I mean, how many other things are completely wrong in the Bible then? But also, before I get there, actually, what was the Old Testament written in? Was it written in Aramaic? Was it written in Hebrew? Because, I mean, if you think about the Old Testament, I mean, they were generally, they were Jews, most of them, before Jesus came. And Christianity, and we will get onto the whole Christianity thing in a moment. We've had this discussion before. What was it written in? And how much of it was actually written in Greek by scholars? And, and Because obviously a lot of it might have been handed down as stories from person to person. So what was it written in to begin with? No, the Torah was given in ancient Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And we call it ancient Hebrew because for 400 years nobody spoke Hebrew on earth. 400 years is a long time, it's mm. many generations. And it was only restarted in the 1900 by someone who came from Russia. And, but if you restart a language, you use what material you have before. Mm. And if you look at the material that we have, uh, what they had, it's, it's a different language altogether. Um, you know, the first sentence in, in the Torah is, Bereshit bara Elohim shamahim et vaharetz. And Bereshit is translated uh, in the beginning. Mm. But Bereshit is made up of different roots. Be meaning in, so letter Be. And, and Reshit comes from the root word Rosh, which means head. Mm. So of course, the head is the beginning. Everything that you are is in your head. But here, here, Already the first sentence is in the head. And it makes it very different if you look at it from that perspective. And we miss so much. So the more you go into the, the Hebrew side, the more you analyze the Hebrew with the ancient Greek. Mm-hmm. Because what happened is the Septuagint was, was done... 70 years before Christ. Um, King Ptolemy decided to have 70, 72 scholars to translate the Torah into Greek. Mm-hmm. But he approached each one of them individually. And they never knew that what they were doing, except the commission that was given by the king. And when we collated all of that, he realized that they all made the same translation. And we call that the Septuagint. And my work is to put together the ancient Hebrew with the Septuagint, the, the, the translation in, in ancient Greek, and the, and the English. And then we come to a closer reality of what is really being said. It just fascinates me that so many people have been reading the Bible for so many years and probably getting it completely wrong. 
Well, it's not a question of getting it completely wrong. I think people generally acknowledge God, know that there is a a greater power, a greater being. I mean, to ignore it and to 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 remove it from your reality and your consciousness would be a foolishness. Mm-hmm. Because if you look around and see what is created by God, by by the Creator and not by man, only what is created by the Creator is perfect. Whether it's a tree, whether it's a flower, whether it's a a system like we are facing now with global warming and whatever. Or if we look at our own bodies, how amazing our our bodies mm-hmm. are and how intricate. If one little thing goes bad, we've got big, big trouble. Mm. We've got big trouble. And uh, look at what we are going through right now with a small virus and the world is in shutdown, everybody is suffering. And for viruses, we, we carry, uh, there's like 3.5 billion types of viruses. Can you imagine? We're talking the little one now, COVID-19, and the whole world is in halt. Falling apart. Oh, man, <laughs> nothing's happening. Mm. And we don't know how to look, to look after ourselves. We, don't, we hope we will get a vaccine. We hope the vaccine will be efficient because we know vaccines are mostly 50% efficient. Mm. So how long will it take for us to just deal with that one little virus? which mm. may have been manipulated and, and uh, made to, to, to disperse so freely. But uh, if we look at these things and then we realize how little we know, how little we understand. Yes, we go to the moon and that's wonderful because I think how wonderful the man of Cro-Magnon in those days who looked at the moon and said it would be nice to get there. What a nice thought. Mm. I would love to go and visit that place that's shining up there in the sky. And men did it. Mm. We put together the machinery, we put the, together the knowledge and put together the reality that we could go there and, and visit it. So we visited the moon, but we know very little about ourselves. Our bodies are still a big mystery. We know even less about the bottom of the ocean, which is really scary on our own planet. Our oceans, we don't know. Well, no. except that we are polluting it with plastic, that the crabs, that the crustaceans, that, that even the most basic things have now swallowed plastic, which means we are ingesting plastic. All the time. Now, one of the other things that um, I came across was the, the whole thing with the anointing. Mm. Okay, so there, that was also a different translation from a specific word in your book. Yeah, well, you see, people call themselves Christians. And you ask them, what do you mean by being a Christian? They'll tell you, well, it's being a follower of Christ. But that's not the reality. To be a Christian comes from the Greek word kresto. And kresto means anointed. Anointed for what? We have to look at the picture of David, who was just a little shepherd boy. And the prophet Samuel came and looked for someone to anoint, to be king of Israel. And all these big brothers, taller, smarter, bigger, but they were not the ones that God was pointing to. Mm. 
And he says, there's somebody missing. He said, yeah, this is a young boy. He's looking after the sheep in the field. So Samuel said, okay, bring him. And when he was brought, Samuel anointed him. And the anointing was telling David, from now on, you have been separated to be king of Israel. So basically, a Christian is somebody who's following, would, would it be that somebody's following the person who was first anointed, as in David, King David, rather than being a follower of Christ? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that we are the ones who call ourselves the anointed ones. Anointed to be kings and priests. This is what the God desires. Mm -hmm. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. So when you call yourself a Christian, you're declaring that the anointing of God is upon your life for you to walk as a king. Mm. Because not a king of this world. It's not where God is not concerned with this world. He's concerned about his kingdom. Mm. So the moment you say, I am a Christian, you say, I have been anointed to be a king in the kingdom of God. That is why Jesus calls himself the king of kings. Mm. The king of us. The king because of we are kings, all kings because, because we are anointed. all kings that have received the anointing. Again, so it's, it gives us far greater uh, reality of, of what we are saying. Yes. But then there are the fallen angels, which are always, I've, I've, I've always been fascinated with Lucifer. And it didn't kind of uh, clear the pitch a lot by having a wonderful series on television called Lucifer, of course, mm. which was wonderful to watch. Um, but... I've never ever thought of a fallen angel as being the king of hell. And this whole concept of hell is also another thing which has been um, misconstrued over the years. Um, some people reckon that the life that we're living in um, is not kind of, we're, not, we're either living in hell or purgatory. Okay. <laughs> so mm. there's, I know everybody has their own way of interpreting things, but the whole thing with Lucifer for me specifically, he is still a God fearing entity because God was his father. The word Lucifer only appears once and um, unfortunately it's an untranslated Hebrew word because if it is translated in English it would mean morning star. But the whole context has been misread because what he's saying he's saying Consider from where you have fallen. You were once in the garden with God. Who walked in the garden with God? Only Adam. He's talking to man and he says to man, you were once one with God. You walked with him. You were so close to him. So now you're a king, and he's talking to the king of Tyre. He says, now because you're a king and you have so much wealth and sheep and armies and gold and power, you think you're special. But you're, you're a fallen reality. And that is our reality today. We glorify ourselves with all kinds of things that are meaningless. The only glory that we can have is the Father mm. that will clothe us and make us understand that we are his children. And that reality changes everything because when Jesus came and the disciples asked him to teach them to pray, the first thing he told them is, Our Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Wow. 
We all glorify our fathers in the flesh. Oh, he's big, he's small, he's clever, he's rich. It's of no value in the kingdom of God. Because in, even in the being a Catholic, you will know that it says, call no man after the flesh, father, for mm-hmm. we have but one father, he who placed his breath inside our nostrils. So he's teaching us that there is a kingdom, that there is a reality, that there is a dimension far, far greater than the mind in which we are. We were talking the other day about the mind of man. Mm. We use 7, 8%, 10% of our brain ability. If that. Yeah. And for, for the analogy of this, it would be like a bonsai. You can take an oak tree and plant it into a small pot and you will have a perfect little oak tree. What's the difference between that tree and the tree on the, in the nature is the size. Mm. And what has constrained the size is the size of a pot. The roots cannot go. So the bonsai stays small. Everything will become similar to the big one, but nothing will come to its maturity. Mm. That's us. 7%, 10% of our ability. In the logic of God, I say that it will be like someone getting into a car with a speedometer running from zero to 100 and only being able to drive to eight and 10 kilometers. And you would look, be so frustrated to look at this speedometer. Say, Why can't I reach my 100? But as you drive, you're passing people that are going at two and three and four and five. And suddenly you are starting to judge yourself with yourself. And you become satisfied with your own performance. And you forget the true potential mm. that you are given. It's, it's a lot of stuff to think about. And I mean, these are things that do come across our brains every now and then when we're not too busy dealing with 20th or 21st century nonsense and the f- speed of everything. But I, I wish that more people could see things that way and that we could have a much more harmonious living space, not just in our own individual spaces, but all together. So, I mean, if people want to find out about the texts, your books, The Logic of God and The Cloud Has Moved, what is, is The Cloud Has Moved actually a follow-on from The Logic of God? Did you find more information and you decided yes. to write that down? Yes, indeed, it's a follow-up, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you're not just into, by the way, this man has also b- done books on African art. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, did you, that's actually something I wanted to ask you. With the African way of thinking, I mean, before Christianity and everything, the missionaries arrived in Africa, the African religions, if you want to, whatever you want to call them in the different parts, because I mean, you've got art from all over Africa. I mean, West Africa, a lot of stuff from there. Mm-hmm. Their way of thinking about God, about God's and about a religion, is it very different to the worldviews that were back in the day with the times of the Bible? I haven't studied the religions of Africa. I've already spent 34 years translating one, one set of books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have enough time to look into every other religion on earth. Oh, you've got plenty of time but, to go um, still, come on. But <laughs> what, it, what I find is interesting is this. We keep to the basic. Mm. And if the basic for the for the three religions we talked about now is our Father who is in heaven, if we all could identify with that Father, there would be no reason for us to hate one another, to judge one another, and to do things that are not right to one another. Because we would all be 
was of the same family. Mm. And I think that would change many things. I was opposed to having clubs, and clubs have their own interests. They need money, they need this, they need that, and therefore they, they start to polarize people. Mm. And polarization is not God's way. God's way is to bring all of his children to him, to turn the heart of the, of the children to the Father, because the heart of the Father is always towards his children. So that's why he says, you know, if a child of yours asks you for bread, would you give him a stone or her a stone? And that child asks you for a fish, would you give that child a snake? He says, how much more? Me. Mm. If you ask of me of a spirit. This is a question. This is a reality. We are so focused on the flesh. We've forsaken the reality of our spirit. We feed our flesh. We look after our flesh. We do everything that is good for the flesh. But how much do we do to expand the reality of who we are mm. in spirit? We need to allow that root from the bonsai pot to break through and hit the ground. And you will see how quickly that bonsai comes to the full measure of the stature that it was designed for. Mm. Well, that's what we should all be doing, breaking free. Mm. And getting the right story, I think. Making sure that you are getting the right facts. I think so many people just will change things for their own measure a lot of the time. They'll, they'll skew things. They do. It's one of those things. Everybody has their own way of looking at something and they can change the facts to fit, fit what their theory is. Let's put it that way. So if anybody wants to find out more, of course, I mean, how would people get hold of you to be able to find these books and to enjoy them? The Logic of God and the Cloud has Moved. They were at um, certain bookstores, but I don't know if they still left there. But um, Otherwise, they can always contact me on... Uh, Dr. Julien at gmail.com. J.M. Julien. Dr. J.M. Julien. Jean-Marie. <laughs> at gmail.com. Sir, thank you so much. It's actually, it's really nice. I mean, for I hope that people who have listened who are not particularly religious in a way may put their brain, that little bit of extra brain power, into looking at things from a more holistic point of view and being a little bit more caring about the environment and also accepting of people who have a specific belief instead of poo-pooing it. Yeah, you see, to be religious, is that what you're saying is religious, but God, it's not God, God is not religious. Mm. God is a father. People if are you religious. understand the heart of a father, then you understand what he's looking for. Mm. And that's exactly what he's been saying all the time. And he says, I'm Alpha, I'm Omega. I ask nothing of you but to believe me. I take care of everything, of absolutely everything. Have faith in me. Have faith in me means be convinced mm. that I am your dad. Be aware from the moment you wake up in the morning and before you go to sleep at night, be aware that you have a dad and that that dad cares for you much more than you could ever, ever, ever think. Okay, so we're looking at the, the whole love of agape. Thank Absolutely. you very, very much. And as uh, Jean-Marie said, if you would like to, please do get hold of him by his email. And uh, they're very interesting reads. Thank you very much for sharing them with me. Thank you. And of course, we will have some more interesting people joining us in the reading room. So 
do keep on checking back and uh, coming and enjoying anything to do with words, how to enhance them and how to understand them. Bye-bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.